Welcome to Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. It's like coffee with an analyst, or it could be whiskey with an analyst reading a spreadsheet, linking crime events, identifying a series, and getting the latest scoop on association news and training. So please don't beat that analyst and join us as we define the law enforcement analysis profession one episode at a time. Thank you for joining me. I hope many aspects of your life are progressing. My name is Jason Elder, and today our guest has over 17 years of law enforcement analysis experience. He started with Austin PD, worked at Dallas Independent School District Police Department, and now is at North Richland Hills PD, all in Texas. He is an active member of the Texas Law Enforcement Analyst Network, also known as TexLing, here to teach you how to say no. Please welcome Jonathan Softly. Jonathan, how are we doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing, buddy? I, I am doing very well. I am glad that uh, you reached out to me. We had met at the IACA conference in Chicago, and we are doing a little quid pro, pro quo with one another. You are obviously a guest here today on my podcast, and I am going to be teaching a webinar for TextLean in the spring. Which I'm super excited about. Yeah. So, yeah. Now, so I got some time to prepare and act like I know what I'm doing. So. Thank you till you make it. <laughs> yeah. That's, what that's right. So we want to talk, obviously, about your contributions to the profession. Talk a little bit about uh, TexLean and the IACA conference being in Dallas next year. And we're also going to take your calls. We are going to play shit you here in the office. So get your calls in if you want to participate. All right, John, how did you discover the law enforcement analysis profession? Well, like many of us, I couldn't get a job right out of undergraduate. So I went to grad school and then I really needed a job after grad school because I didn't want to be homeless. So I started looking about six months before graduation, ended up thinking to myself, what sounds like it'd be a really cool thing to work in. And so the early 2000s, I typed into my web browser, crime analysis. I was like, that sounds like it's a real thing. And <laughs> it was. So I applied to a couple different agencies. I ended up getting an interview with the Austin Police Department. And then they called me back and said, thank you, but you're our second choice. We'll call you if we have another and come open. And about a month later, they called me back up and said, hey, we want to offer you that job that we didn't want to offer you before because we couldn't make the salary work for the other person. And I was like, you want to pay me how much? <laughs> they told me. I was like, oh, think in my head, that's more than the place in Florida wants to pay. I think I'll go to Texas and move out after five years. And that was an ungodly number of years ago, and I'm still here in Texas. Oh, man. So what was the interview like? So the interview was pretty interesting. I had to do research and figure out what is crime analysis, actually. And I had pretty good answers. There was like one answer that I flipped, like the types of crime analysis. I flipped two of them around and they were like oh you, these are actually da 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 i'm like oh yeah but I, I had worked in the past for a city as a temp employee i've worked for municipalities since i was about 16 so just sticking with government it works for me <laughs> but i had worked for a water sewer utility and one of the things that i had to do was learn how to do gis 
And uh, so okay. way back in 2003, I got certified by Esri and God, what was it like? Arc 8, 8.1, I think at that point, it is completely different now from what it used to be. <laughs> but I called up the lady that was over the GIS for that city. I was like, hey, I have this interview and they want to see some mapping stuff. Can you like print out some of the things that I did? And so she printed out a couple maps of orthos that I had hand like uh, do you I don't know do you remember when you used to have to take the orthos and like connect them up manually yourself? So I had to do that for the entire city or well, actually the entire county because they covered that whole county. And then I had like hand drawn all of these shape files for a historical district. And so they they gave me that, rolled it up a little tube, took it. And the first thing that the lady who was in charge of the interview said when she looked at him, she was like, wow, these are some really great orthos. And I was like, oh, yeah, I was the person who had to put all that together. And she was like, wow, that's really impressive. Your mapping skills are really impressive. And so that was pretty much it. And then they're like, hmm, maybe you'd be better as a planner. I was like, yeah. But ended up as the analyst position. When I think back about it, number one, I'm glad that the interviews aren't recorded because I can't imagine watching my first interviews for my first jobs, trying to convince people that of well, your skill set, especially if you're trying to fake it until you make it type effect. And the the second thing is I didn't have to do what you were just describing in mapping. But with those mapping programs, I swore at them more than any other program that I ever used as an analyst, especially early in like Arc Map or Arc GIS 3.2 or whatever it is, 3.3. Man, it seemed like I'd get so far in almost every project, I had at least one crash of that program. I have thoughts of horror when I, when I think back at some of those projects that I was using mapping on. Well, mapping actually ended up being one of the things that I was really good at down to I was in charge of the plotters because I knew how <laughs> to use them and like do the little maintenance and everything, which worked for me because then everybody just came to me and I showed them how to like print everything out on the plotter for things. And they were always like, wow, that's really cool. How do you know how to do that? And I think to myself, I looked at the instruction manual. <laughs> Oh, man. Do you have plotters now? We were just talking about this last week with Rachel Songoleski. Do you have plotters now at the police department? I don't have a plotter. There is yeah. a plotter over on the other side, on the city hall side of the building, where the GIS lady used to sit. She just <laughs> retired. Really nice lady. So they're, I guess, going to fill that position at some point. But there was a plotter over there, and I was like, oh, look, it's a plotter. It's like, <laughs> It's been a while, buddy. Hi. <laughs> oh. So when you get to Austin, first job, first crime analyst position, take us back to going into the office for the first time because you are from North Carolina. So Austin was brand new to you, right? Yeah, I moved down there. And then about a week later, I started work mm -hmm. and I didn't know a soul didn't know where anything was. They, I asked the apartment complex where the grocery store was, and they told me, oh, it's just down the street. And I kept driving up and down the street looking for the grocery store, and I couldn't find it. Are you familiar with 
any of the Texas grocery stores by any chance? No. So Central Texas, and it's slowly coming up here to North Texas, but they have HEB, which is the best grocery store. But this grocery store had like lawn chairs and fire pits and things like that sitting outside. <laughs> so I was driving by and all I was thinking was, okay, well, there's a home improvement store, but where's the grocery store? And yes. all the native Texans will mock me now, but hey, yeah, that was, hey, you need to pick up steaks and you need to pick up new lawn chairs. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but then I figured out it was the grocery store finally. And I was like, oh, okay. But yeah, it was a new city, new state, new everything, starting from scratch, and made it work. All right. So then, what did, what were some of your tasks at the very beginning? So, just like the general like crime analyst things, read reports, document them in a database that you've created and access. And look at them, <laughs> see are there any trends, are there any patterns. Work with the detectives on things, make bulletins. Of course, you can't forget making the maps that you have to do with all that. And of course, the most important thing, figuring out where you're going to have lunch for the day. <laughs> uh, did you do more data management or what did you mainly eventually work your way into? Because in the beginning, you do the, the normal crime analyst stuff, but then you kind of find your niche and get into a project that you can sink your teeth into and really enjoy. Yeah. So I did the regular crime analyst stuff. And because I was good with the mapping programs, I did a lot of the mapping. I actually, way back, I want to say, I don't remember when it was, maybe it was like 2008, um, somewhere between 2005 and 2010, Institute of Justice was working on a program and they were pushing crime stat three and they had like two grant funded opportunities to go do this training. They had, I think one in like South Carolina, I want to say, and the other in Denver. And so I applied for that and I got accepted into it. My bosses were like, okay, well, we're not paying for that. I was like, you don't have to. And they're like, <laughs> oh, well then go go but when you come back you have to teach everybody how to use it so i went up there spent the week learning crime stat three really that... enjoyed the program it was you know what's you know what crime stat three is right and yes like I, yeah i've used crime stat three but there's probably people in the audience that have never heard of it well google is your friend for that but <laughs> crime stat three was a statistical and mapping program so you would put information in and you would get statistical information back as well as shape files and point files for that statistical information that you could bring into. And so I started using a lot of that when I came back and it was great. It helped me like narrow certain fields down when I was looking at things in a statistical manner. And that's kind of what pushed me more to looking at things with like a more data focused like view for things, which is what I work with now is I look at everything as a very data driven approach to policing. So I'm working on data type issues to find best places and times for patrols to go to 
more than researching suspects. But we'll get back to that later. <laughs> yeah. So, so just to drive that home, though, give an example of something where you would use CrimeStat 3 and bring it into ArcGIS. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I was in charge of working on a lot of the property crime for downtown Austin and the central part of Austin. So like we call it like Central West. And if you look at a map, just take everything north of the river, up the up 30, then follow that next little highway and then find Mopac, which is the other little highway that goes down. And then find that little arm that drops down on the other side sometimes. And I was looking at things there. And so I would use that to like justify, hey, this is really the area of concern for like these burglary vehicles because you know, the bosses are always like, oh, well, this person over here on 123 Main Street is complaining that they have a lot of crime. And I come back and be like, no, no, they don't. But if you look here, we see there's a statistically significant, like, clustering of crime right here. And when we look at the days and times, we can see we have an issue right here that we should focus on. And so that's kind of what I was pushing with that. And then how did that go over in terms of using that? It was statistically significant. It went it went over well. It went over okay. well. I don't think anyone else there used that program. Mm -hmm. um, I couldn't get anybody to get on board with it, really. So I, I doubt they, they've ever used it since I left. I hope yeah. they would, though. But I found that it was a really useful product. I actually still use CrimeStat 3 in my current job because oh I like it better than CrimeStat 4. I didn't even know that was out there still kicking and screaming. That's impressive. Huh. All right. Well, this brings us to your analyst badge story. And for you, it's 2008 and you're dealing with uh, identity theft. Yeah. So I'm sitting in my office one day and the... Uh, I want to say he was the lieutenant at that point of the financial crimes division came up and asked if I would help them with something. They didn't have an analyst assigned to them. And we had worked together in my original posting where he had been a sergeant. So we had a really good working relationship. So he's like, hey, we're looking at this identity theft case for this lady. We got a tip from, I want to say it was Walgreens or CVS. It was one of the two. CVS. It was CVS. They tipped off the Texas Pharmacy Board because there was a complaint of a prescription misfill at the pharmacy that the lady was working at in Dallas, but she had transferred down to Austin at that point. Hmm. So, And just for those that don't know, how far is Dallas to Austin? It's like a one-hour flight or a yeah. two-and-a-half to five-hour drive, depending on construction. Yeah, so that's kind of an odd thing to do. Yeah, it's I mean it's not that far. It's yeah, it's like a you could day trip it down there. I mean this is Texas, two hundred <laughs> plus miles. That's a day trip. We'll go out there and come back. We don't care. <laughs> but so I like started looking up her information and compiling things together. I had been using Accurant at the time, so I ran her through Accurant. I was like, huh, there's some suspicious stuff going on here. <laughs> Some of this doesn't match, so I was running more things and more things. And then at some point, I'm sitting in my little cubicle, and financial crimes guy comes back up, and he's like, hey, 
we need to have a meeting with you. And I was like, we? I was like, okay, sure, whatever. He's like, <laughs> well, we got called by some other agencies. I was like, okay, cool, whatever, whatever. Let, let's get this done. And he's like, okay, well, it's the Department of Defense along with the Social Security Administration and the DEA. <laughs> I was like, okay. And he was like, and we're going to talk with the U.S. Attorney General down here in Austin. And I was like, all right, well, this is, this is interesting. What's going on? So a lot happened. I actually wanted to do this as like a case study, but it brings up more questions than I actually have answers to because it's been so long ago and I don't have access to the people that would have those answers at this point. So it's kind of disappointing because I, I like did like a whole like PowerPoint presentation for it and then I did a focus group and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we want to know da 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 da. I was like, hey, yeah, I don't think I'm going to do this as a presentation. <laughs> yeah. So what was exactly going on? Because it seems this person was pretty well connected and you were just looking at her based on the prescription alert that came out. So the Department of Defense was looking at her because she was getting benefits. She had gotten some cap cards and was using that to do health care and benefits and at one point on-base housing. Well, she never finished basic training. She was kicked out. She was also portraying herself as a lieutenant and a doctor to them when she'd have to get new ones. So they were like, huh, yeah, that's not cool. Well, the DEA came in because, well, she had been doing these prescriptions and she had filled a lot of them that she probably should not have, like, a lot. Like, I want to say the total number of prescriptions she filled was, I'm just pulling up the number right now, about 44,000 prescriptions. Wow. And of those, she did over 355,000 doses of controlled substance. So, and, but, and did she actually work for the pharmacy? Oh, she was working as a pharmacist. She stole the identity and the pharmacy license of a licensed pharmacist in Texas. And she was working as that licensed pharmacist. She'd also okay. worked as a licensed pharmacist in New York State. So, of course, you see why the DEA is even more interested. She yeah. was doing this in New York. Yeah. Now, I was just, I was watching one of those documentaries on fentanyl or whatnot, and it, they were talking about that, how pharmacists don't actually run a report to where they see what all their prescriptions are. So they would have no idea if their numbers are being used in a different city, right? Exactly. That that's not on their radar at all. I mean, maybe it is now because everybody was stealing this. This is the common occurrence in in any type of uh, pharmacy fraud that people are just using different numbers and getting prescriptions filled and sent out and everything else. But back in the 2000s that nobody was paying attention to how often their numbers were actually being used so that pharmacist had no idea how much prescriptions were on the books for that for him or her oh yeah nothing at all 
And she had originally worked as like a pharmacy tech. So mm -hmm. that's how she knew what to do because she had originally worked like way back in like 2000 to like 2002-ish as a pharmacy tech. And she'd worked at some Walgreens. She'd worked at some Albertsons. She had done all these little things. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that's interesting right there. So I took all that information and I took everything that I was getting out of Accurate. And we looked at every single aspect of this lady's life down to the fact that we discovered she had three marriages. One of them we couldn't find a divorce record for before she married her third <laughs> husband. So we may have tipped off that state about that she got that marriage done in, about some possible bigamy going on, because we, we know there ain't going to be no brother husbands right there when they're not together. Man, that's... Uh, that's probably the least of her worries at this point after what you just described in terms of the number of prescriptions that she was responsible for fraudulently creating. Yeah. Overall, I went over, I went through about 1,500 pages of documents and data, wow. like looking through everything, nitpicking, finding relations, finding things that don't match, and then looking and finding where that actually went. Worked with vital records. So I had to like, Go look up marriage, death, and divorce uh, records, birth records, looking at all these things, trying to find little connections to tie things together. And I, I did a pretty decent job with it, <laughs> enough that I put together a really cool chart in I2, which I had at the time, like with kind of like a link chart showing her family and the three husbands. Then a timeline showing the timeline for everything that she had done. Then all the information about the prescriptions that she had done. It was a lot of work. It was actually the only time I was, I've ever been asked to actually go to court where I thought I was going to go to court. Listeners, as long as you can give and have a track record of giving great information and data that nobody has questions on, you don't have to go to court. <laughs> I say this from experience where yeah. I've had prosecutors and defense attorneys go, hey, your information's great. We're not going to have you come to court. So <laughs> let's ignore that subpoena because you're not coming. And if we think that you're going to have to come, we'll just give you like a 30 minute warning and let the judge know that we have to get you here. But you just do your thing. They're like, we don't want you having to sit around all day because you help us. <laughs> yeah. So so were you printing out these charts on the plotter and submitting those as evidence? So I had printed out the whole thing on the plotter, which was really cool. We unrolled it, showed it to the U.S. Attorney General. He got really excited about it. So being like the data type nerd that I was, and I like lucked out because that AG was one too. We were like, how can we show this best in court? And I was like, hey, I have a roll of mylar that I've been waiting to use. And he was like, what's that? I said, it's clear paper. I was like, I can print the base of this and then we could just flip it over 
and over and build it up. He was like, that's so cool. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And we were like all excited. And I never got to print it out on the Mylar. Oh, bummer. I, because they took the product that I made. They showed it to the suspect who had already been arrested and her lawyer. And she immediately took a plea deal. Oh, like man. her lawyer basically looked at her and, and I don't know what really happened, but in my mind, her lawyer looked at her and he goes, Molly, you in danger, girl. <laughs> oh, that's, that's funny. So what did she get? So I know that on January 15th, 2010, she was sentenced to the maximum sentence of five years by the Travis County Courts for possession of controlled substance by fraud, Schedule 3 slash 4. She was charged in 2008 and sentenced in U.S. District Court, Western District of Texas, to seven years in federal prison for distributing narcotics, aggravated identity theft, and Social Security fraud. Remember how I said I tipped off some people in New York about stuff? Mm-hmm. Well, she was charged in 2009 in the U.S. District Court Eastern District of New York for additional distributing charges for her work in New York. She served that state and federal time consecutively and got out of federal prison in 2014. And I want to say she lives in the El Paso area now, hopefully a crime-free life and has learned her lesson. Yeah, man. Hmm. So do do you enjoy working big cases like this as opposed to you start talked in the beginning about using crime stat three and identifying problem areas there's that type of analysis work and then there's these really big cases that you're the the lead analyst on which do you prefer to work on i mean i I like them both. The the data stuff is going to happen more often. Um, mm-hmm. That that's just the the way it goes. I mean, it's fun to do this. There's that adrenaline rush as you're putting things together. But I know that day to day, I'm going to be focused on just pure data, and that's part of the marching orders that I have in my current position. As you mentioned, that you leave Austin and you take a analyst role with the Dallas Independent School District Police Department. Let's talk about the decision to leave Austin and to take this position. It came down to more money. I, <laughs> I loved working in Austin. I loved working with the people there. But Austin is so unaffordable. It's even more unaffordable right now. I... I I know that I, in my current job, I make more than people who've been in Austin for 20 years. So it was about the money. I could not afford to be destitute and possibly homeless while working. (laughs) So I said, farewell. So I took a job with the Dallas Independent School District's Police Department. It is the 14th largest school district in the United States. It is the second largest in the state of Texas, and it has a land mass that the district covers that is like over 340 square miles with over 280 different buildings and facilities with student and staff population of, let's call it 180-ish at the time when I started. So a small-sized city mm-hmm. across a very large area. So they hired me to be a crime analyst over there. Well, 
very soon into working there, I realized they did not need a crime analyst. There are so many cameras in that school district <laughs> that the majority of things were self-solving. Yeah. What they needed was a planner, which convenient for them, I had done planning work in Austin. So I just started pivoting things because they started adding different tasks to me, different assignments until I was like really overwhelmed. And that job, while some great people there, taught me some very valuable lessons. And uh, one of those lessons is to say no, because I didn't say no for a long time. And when I left, it took eight people to take on my responsibility. I was doing everything. I was managing our servers. I was managing all of our databases. I was part of internal affairs. I was part of the chief's office, obviously. I wrote the entire policy manual there. I, by right, I stole a lot of things from other places, <laughs> as one does when you're writing a policy manual. I'm not stupid. I just didn't know how to say no for a while. And the last few years I was there, I said no a lot. And yeah that made things a lot better for me. But yeah, I was the custodian of records for the department. I did all of the open records requests. I did all of the legal things for the department. So anything that was involving the district's legal department went through me and I did that. And I had a really good relationship with the lawyers over there. I did technology purchasing. I did contract negotiations because, hey, nothing says crime analyst like let's go over contracts. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so in terms of the planning aspect of, of this position or what you it morphed into, what were some of the things that you were working on? So I worked on a bond project for the district. Uh, I worked on, remember how I said I was part of internal affairs? I was the person who procured all of the internal affairs software. I managed it. I ran it. I taught everyone how to use it. Nobody paid attention to the training, so nobody knew how to use it, even though it was literally all drop-down menus, because drop-down menus are hard. That is one of the things I learned. I was working on body cameras and in-car video before I left. Then the biggest thing was really the policy manual. Like that was over a year of work right there, pulling things together, herding the kittens together to actually review it down to where I finally had to have the chief set twice a week meetings and read the entire policy manual to the command staff so that they would review it. So that went more from planning to babysitting at that point, <laughs> but it got what needed to be done, done. Yeah. Oh, I also managed our RMS over there. And so I had to do a lot of stuff in the RMS system, including a complete readdressing of it. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, you... You mentioned the idea of you eventually had to say no. I'm just envisioning with all these projects that you're involved in, your contribution 
only so much could get done each day, right? Exactly. So, so you had all these open projects and none of them were getting off your plate because there's only so much you can do in a day. Exactly. And it was just overwhelming. And it didn't help that there was a certain manager over there who just threw their work on everybody else and was basically a bully. And it finally like took me to getting to my breaking point to tell our previous chief when he was there, hey, I cannot and will not work for this person anymore. And I cannot keep taking things on. I was like, something can be done about this or I can leave. Yeah. Well, they moved me to work for somebody else. <laughs> so, <laughs> yet too many hands in the cookie jars. They were not happy when I left, and I explained it to them why I left. But they weren't too terribly happy. I believe I'm still uh, persona non grata over there. Make <laughs> <laughs> sure you go the speed limit when you go you travel. Yeah, it's but yeah, out. eventually I had to just start saying, "Hey, no, I can't do this, and this is why." Or, "No, we're not going to do that." And this is why. And I really started doing that a lot when they gave me control over the RMS system because they wanted to do certain things. And I was like, no, we're not going to do that. This is why we're not going to do it. This is what we can do instead. And they were like, oh, okay. And I discovered, hey, I have more power than I thought. I can say no to things. As long as I can explain to them why I'm saying no. They seem cool with that. <laughs> and so I just ran with it. And that mindset's actually one of the things that they liked about me at my current job. When I was interviewing with them, I was like, hey, I'm going to flat out tell you no, but I'm going to explain to you why. If I don't have an explanation right away, I'll get you one. And they were like, oh, that's interesting. Nobody's ever done that before. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to waste your time or my time because I spent several years wasting my time. I just didn't want to do that anymore. Hi, this is Paul Arnold. And I just want to tell you the difference between the fast lane and the passing lane is that you're supposed to be passing in the far left passing lane. Even if you think you're going fast enough, get out of the lane. Hey there, everybody. This is Albert Mesa, and I'm here to ask you a very important question. Have you ever done a sit along with the dispatcher? If the answer is no, and you're currently an analyst, you're missing out on a huge piece of the data puzzle. Not only will you open your eyes to how data is captured, entered, and coded, you'll see how calls are prioritized and dispatched and get a true feel for CAD data. You'll get to see it in a whole new light and use it as a tool in your analysis. And who doesn't want to sit with the true first responder who probably saved a life right before they sat with you? This is Jennifer Loper. Good friends don't care if your house is clean. They care if you have wine. Now, when you look back, is there a particular project that you're proud of or maybe your favorite project? Because you were there 10 years, right? This I was there something... 11 years. Yeah, 11 years. My, sorry, my math's bad. So you were there 11 years. Now it's been a couple years since you left. What's your perspective now? I mean, is turning in my notice an acceptable favorite project? <laughs> 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 okay, um, your second one. Gee, I would say probably fixing a lot of the problems that were going on with the addressing in the RMS system. I completely readdressed it. I went in there with the dispatch manager, who was the other person who was supposed to actually be in charge. She didn't know really what 
to do and the previous one had left and I had really run it even when he was there anyway. And we were all friends. So we were like, hey, and we all knew that there were these problems, but we fixed all the addressing. We set up for everything to actually be able to be searched for so that you could get reasonable information out. We fixed all of the mapping that was in the RMS system because none of the XY coordinates were right. So we went through every single location and put in brand new XY coordinates so that when you would click on the map, it would show you exactly what you needed instead of not having anything at all. We updated all the contact information in there, and then we fixed the call sign issue, which really pissed off the officers and sergeants because they got really mad about it because they like to just use like generic things. So there was a, there are eight sectors. So they would have the officers as S101, S102. But then when that officer went to a different district, say S101 went over to like S40 and became S403, everything that was connected to S101 went over to whoever the new S101 was. Everything that was with S403 went to whoever the new S403 was. And I was like, hey, we're not getting accurate information. I said, we know that we have a drop dead date at this point where from here on out, we know that this call information is accurate for who is actually there. But in the past, no, because you have changed it so much. You've moved people around so many times that you would pull something and you would look at the CAD sheet and then you look at the report and it would be completely different people for what was showing up in CAD as attached to the call as who actually wrote the report. I was like, we can't have that. And so I implemented a whole new call sign system based off of their badge numbers, P for police, S for sergeant, D for detective, C for command staff people. And it worked. It worked because if someone promotes, they're still, they're, say you have P101 promote to S101, that's fine because all their stuff is still going to go with them. You're going to know, hey, this is still the same person. And so just getting that data cleaned up, I think that's probably my biggest accomplishment over there is hmm. fixing something that was broken for so long by telling them no to something, being stubborn and pigheaded and refusing to listen to them at all because I was right and they were wrong, which was true, but... <laughs> It didn't make me super popular with some people for a while. And then other people were like, well, that makes more sense. Now I don't have to remember who my call sign is. And then when the sergeants were like, well, I'm not going to know who my officers are. We're like, well, did you know who S101 was? No, but I knew it was in my sector. I was <laughs> like, well, maybe you could just look at the cat and it'll show who the person is. <laughs> uh, well, let's talk about North Richland Hills then. How did that police department get on your radar? So while I was working for Dallas ISD, I bought a house over in Fort Worth because it was affordable. And so I moved to Fort Worth and I drove back and forth to Dallas from Fort Worth every day for four years. And it was getting old. I was getting tired of all the extra work that I was doing and feeling underappreciated. And I was looking at jobs in different places. I was actually trying to move to the Northern Virginia, D.C., Maryland area. Oh, okay. But 
always the bridesmaid, never the bride. <laughs> I was the second choice finalist for many, many a position. I feel like I should have gotten like a Miss Congeniality Award for that at the uh, end. What, what, um, or the Susan Lucci Award? Yeah, the Susan Lucci Award. That's what I needed. The Susan Lucci <laughs> Award. I was nominated for the Daytime Emmy, but I never got it. But yeah, so I had seen that there was a position in North Richland Hills that came open. And it came open 2019 at the beginning of the year. I was like, huh, that's interesting. So I applied for it. Maybe it was towards the end of the year, but it was in 2019. And as we know, the wheels of government move slowly. So I get an email. They're like, hey, we'd like to give you an interview. Fill out our background packet form. And I'm like, Ew. I was like, I have to fill out a background first. I was like, I'm not worried about passing the background. I know that's going to happen. I'm worried about you looking at what's in my background packet and seeing the name of my spouse and discriminating against me instead, yeah. which did not happen. But th that fear was in my head. This is Texas. It's a very yeah. conservative state. But so I sent that in. They were like, this is great. We're going to work on this. And then the pandemic hit. Mm -hmm. And I didn't hear anything from them until it was either late 2020 or early 2021. And I got an email saying, hey, so sorry that it's taken so long. Are you perhaps still interested in this position? <laughs> And I had been passed over by several things in the greater D.C. area, and I was dejected, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die at Dallas ISD. <laughs> I was like, I have to spend way too long here to collect the pension, because it's 30 years there, and Texas yeah. hates teachers, so it's not a great retirement system. Yeah, Texas uh, hates teachers. That's a bumper sticker. It is a bumper sticker. <laughs> but so I was like, hey, yes, sure, that sounds great. And I'll let you know, I applied for this job partially because it is 15 minutes from my house. Yeah. I also was like, huh, well, I see their salary range. And if they're not willing to pay the top of their salary range, they shouldn't really post that. I applied, went through everything, was talking to the CID captain, and then he... Like, sent me an email several weeks later, like, hey, I'm actually switching units now. You're going to be working with this captain instead. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'm still in on this. So I came and did my interview, and there were three people on the panel. They forgot to introduce the panel to me. So it wasn't until after I started that I knew who the two analysts on the panel were. <laughs> I only knew who the captain was. And I could tell when I gave a good answer because my captain, who I love, I love you, Mickey Shelley. He is oh, the best guy ever and has no poker face. I will, <laughs> I, I need to play poker with him to win because I would give an answer that he liked and he would just give this like little smile and wink. <laughs> I was like, yes. Then there was one of the analysts. She was all bubbly, and she—you could tell when I gave her the other the right answer. And then there was the final analyst who had the stone face. And I left thinking, "Oh my God, that lady hates me." 
No, she just has a really good poker face. I want to say she worked over for Fort Worth or something like that. And uh, thank you for saying to give me the job. I would thank you by name, but I don't actually remember it because it was given to me in a walk by and that was it. (laughs) So these were analysts from a different department that were coming just to help with the interview process. There was an analyst from Fort Worth PD, which is the big city right here over here in Tarrant County. And then there was a federal analyst who's with the DEA. Who is it? I'm going to butcher her name. Sutton Debru. You should probably not just put that in there because I can't say her <laughs> name. But yeah, so I did the interview and I left like thinking, did I like slay that or did I bomb i couldn't tell because at one point the the lady from fort worth was like what type of analytical products do you use and so i went through all the things that i had and i've said i too i've said crime stat i've said like tableau power bi what i was like i said sql what what else is there i was like oh there's the rms and access and she's like an rms system and access are not analytical tools and I'm like, okay, my bad. <laughs> I disagree. Access can be an analytical tool. But let's be honest, we all export everything out to Excel to do that. But yeah, so I got a call from them a few days later. Well, and they were like, hey, we'd really like to offer you a job. They gave me a number. I said, that sounds like a great salary for somebody else. And I told them exactly how much less it was that I was currently making, thinking to myself, you know how much I'm making. Why would you offer me that? <laughs> we'll just say that there were five numbers that were lower than what I was making. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm going to get a Dear John letter. Whatever. I got a call from the chief's assistant that afternoon saying that the chiefs, all three wanted to talk to me the very next morning. And so I was like, oh, that's unexpected. (laughs) So I was like, well, maybe they're going to try to talk me down. So I interviewed with the chiefs. The assistant chief that I work with brought me upstairs. We get along really well. We We have a really good relationship here. Like everyone's very casual for the most part. It's really nice. Like you can call someone brent or just by their last name and they're not gonna be like that sergeant so and so to you but so they bring me in i'm sitting with all their chiefs and they're asking me questions because they want to make sure that hey i'm the guy because apparently mickey and the background investigator who did all the hiring like really talked me up and so she's like well what would you do if you had to assign priority to things. I was like, well, let's say you come up, Chief, and ask me for something that I know is going to take me two weeks to do. And I'll tell you, hey, sure, no problem. I estimate it's probably going to take about two weeks to do this. And then later that day, the assistant chief comes up to me and says, hey, I need this here. And I go, oh, that'll take 30 minutes to do. I said, I'm going to do his first. This is going to take 30 minutes. And the two assistant chiefs were like, no, no, you, you can't do that. The chief comes first. And the chief goes, no, that's a, that makes sense. Do the one that you can get done first. Don't make that wait two weeks. I was like, exactly. Why make you wait two weeks for something that I can do in 30 minutes? And it's not going to affect this deadline over here. And so they really like that. And then they asked some other things. And I told them flat out. I was like, hey, sometimes I'm going to tell you no. I'm going to tell lots of people no. I said, 
but I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you a no but statement. And it's going to be, no, we can't do that. But we should try this instead. Or no, we can't do that. But this is why we can't do that. Something that I had to learn at my old job when they asked me to do a couple of things. And I had to say, no, we can't do that because it's a violation of federal law. (laughs) And all that stuff working with legal comes back to everybody now. And they're like, that's why. But they sent me out of the room, talked amongst themselves. Chief came back. It was just him. He said that. They all liked me, and then he was just like, hey, we're going to, before we get through anything else, he said, I know that we have a number we have to talk about. If you can't accept it, we'll shake hands, part ways as friends. Otherwise, since he told me the number, I asked him a couple questions, and I said, yep, I'll take that. Good. Hmm. So when you're sitting there, are you nervous at that time? I would be really nervous about, you know, the chief coming in there, and you're in that position. It's like make or break time. Were you super nervous at that point? I I was a little nervous, but I mean, I had nothing to lose. I mean, it's not like I didn't have a job. I I had a job that paid decently well. They did not offer very much more than I was currently making, but the benefits here make it a better package and being closer to home. I I end up saving about eight hours a week of commute time that I used to spend. And that's eight hours a week more that I have to sit at home with my dog telling my husband to stop sitting in front of the TV. (laughs) All right. Very good. Well, there's a couple of things I do want to get to before we get to shit you here in the office callers. So let's move on then. I do want to talk about text lane because you are active with them. That's the regional association in Texas. So what all do you do for them? So I am the vice president of administration for the Texas Law Enforcement Analyst Network. That means that basically me and the president, Alex Schneider, do a lot of work together. I also do all of the training for TexLane. So basically, if you're an analyst and you're in Texas, if you're not in TexLane, go join it right now. Mm -hmm. That's an order. And if you are, I hope you enjoy the trainings that we provide you because we provide those trainings. uh, So we do monthly webinars for free for our TechSlane members. It's $10 for non-TechSlane members. And we have a variety of different topics that we've done. I have a really good contact, I would say a good colleague over with Department of Homeland Security, Michael Hernandez, who does some really good presentations about the dark web. He was actually one of the keynote speakers at our conference that we had back in June. We also do a conference every year, except for this upcoming year, for obvious reasons. I'm not going to compete with the IACA conference at all. That's right. I said IACA instead of IACA because that's how we roll in Texas. It just sounds so bad, (laughs) IACA. Have you never called it IACA? I don't, but I've had people on the show that have called it that. And it just to me, it's just like yak, yaka, IACA. It just sounds like you're throwing up. I think it might be an inside joke at this point. Oh, man. Let's get into the conference then a little bit. So the IACA conference will be there in Dallas. and Not uh, Dallas. Not Dallas. It will be in Grapevine, Texas. There's a difference. So it's the IACA conference 
in 2023 is going to be in Grapevine, Texas. It is going to be super close to the airport, so you don't have to travel too terribly far. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be at the Gaylord Texan, which is a pretty cool hotel. I have been to this hotel, and it's really cool. If this was happening like right now, they have like one of those like exhibits where you go in and you have to wear a coat because it's all ice sculptures everywhere. Mm-hmm. They have like a giant atrium in the center of the main hotel that obviously it's an atrium, so it's covered with glass. It looks like you're outside, but it's air conditioned, which is great for Texas because we need air conditioning here because it is hot most of the time. Yeah. So great, gonna... great vine. We're in relation to Dallas and Fort Worth is grapevine. So Grapevine is literally at the airport. The airport is technically in Dallas and in Fort Worth, depending which side of the toll road that runs through it you Mm -hmm. are on. But Grapevine is just north of it. So if you look at a map of Dallas and Fort Worth, you'll see I-30 runs across from Dallas to Fort Worth and downtown. And you'll see the airport north of there off of one of our northern highways, 183. And Grapevine is up there off of 121 and 114 because we like to give things numbers here. In fact, there are two, like, there are two highways in Texas that are 183. There's (laughs) this one here in Dallas, Fort Worth. Then there's another one that snakes up through the state from Austin. If your department will rent you a car, rent a car. If not, you can take a train from the airport to downtown Grapevine and catch a shuttle from the train station to the hotel. Mm -hmm. So that is nice. And it is also right on a lake. So it's really nice. It's a pretty area. Grapevine is just one of those northern cities, suburbs that's in the area. It's more in the more expensive part of the Metroplex, which is the northern side. All right. Sound good. No, it should be a good time. Looking forward to it. Remind me, is that at the end of August or the end of September? I have the card right here. It's August 28th through September 1st. Okay. All right. So that's and you it. can take a train from downtown Grapevine to the stockyards in Fort Worth because what does everyone think of when they think of Texas? Longhorn steers and cowboys. Yeah. Just saying, you should yeah. go. It's fun to see the cat then take the steers and march them down the street. Yep. Seeing that, that is really cool. So. All right, let's move on then. One other topic I'd like to talk to you about before we uh, take some calls. You've mentioned it already that you have a husband and you live in Texas. You've had this career with the police department. I just wanted to get your perspective on that. And I'm sure you have some horror stories or some not so great stories, but just how overall has it been for you working in police departments, they're in Texas. Yeah, so like in Austin, nobody cared. Mm-hmm. Nobody cared at all. At my job at the school district, there was one lieutenant 
who flat out refused to work with me, and not just because I was gay, but it's a minority majority department, which is great because it's amazing seeing like persons of color in law enforcement and especially working in a minority majority urban school district where the kids there can see people who look like them in these roles of law enforcement where they can say, hey, I can be a police officer if I want to. That's not just for other people. That's something that I look at there. But that one person did not like anybody that was not a person of color. And so that was a little difficult to work with because I had to work with them a lot. I did a lot of projects all by myself because it was easier, but that was... So that just had to do with the, that just had to do because you're white and gay. Oh, okay. I had, I <laughs> you got had you. Two double whammy. I, I got you. I had two whammies against me. I had some people there ask me some inappropriate questions, which I knew that they did not mean in a malicious way. Yeah. They were genuinely trying to like connect with me and ask questions. And so mm-hmm. I just let them know, Hey, that that's inappropriate. You can't really ask that, but I think this is what you really mean. And they were like immediately, Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do that. So when I came over here and I was doing my interview with the chief, one of the things he said, when it was just the two of us, he goes, well, what does your wife do? Because I had been very clearly just saying things like, well, my spouse, my -hmm. spouse. And so I had to go, oh, it's actually my husband. And he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You should have corrected me sooner. I was like, well, you know, I I was a little concerned. I said, this is Texas and law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And he said something that I will never forget. He said, in this department, we do not stand for any sort of bigotry or hatred or anything like that anyone based on any reason and he said you have nothing to worry about if anyone ever gives you any problem about that come talk to me and nobody's given me a problem with it everybody has been great to me here because I, I it's not something that i hide there's no reason yeah. to i mean why i'm not ashamed of it yeah well you're you're a pretty tall guy too it's it's hard for you to hide <laughs> I, 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 and i'm big i mean <laughs> i'm big and tall I'm actually glad that that's your perspective and that you feel supported. That's really good to hear. Yeah, because, I mean, we have had bad things happen to us. In 2017, two years after the law of the land, we went to get our marriage license and we were publicly turned away. And the, the staff at the office did it very loudly in order to humiliate us and make us leave. And we were like, what? And because they were like, oh, we don't issue marriage licenses. The justice of peace here only does traditional marriages. You're going to have to go somewhere else. Here's a piece of paper that shows where you can go. And then another lady did come over and like pulled us aside. She's like, I'm so sorry about that. She goes, he won't do it here. I'm really sorry. These are the people that will do it. And we're like, well, can we not just get our marriage license? And she was like, he won't allow us to issue them. And so we thought about suing the county, but... It, it wasn't worth it. We went to another justice of the peace who was happy to marry us. He flat out asked us after the ceremony, did any of the people in my office give you 
any trouble or issues, he said, let me know because I will take care of it right now. And we're like, no, your people were great. And we told him what happened. And we told him that we had filed a complaint with the State Judicial Commission. And he said that he would send a letter on our behalf to them as well, because that was un- it was just inappropriate and unacceptable. Like, fine, if you don't want to do the marriage, even though you're legally required to, and you don't have to do marriages because you that's not an actual part of your job, then fine. But don't deny someone their marriage license just because you want to be a bigot. Yeah. Like, it's just not, it's not right. Do you know if that's still the case or has it changed? Oh, he lost his election after he was caught in a scandal uh, tearing up his opponent's yard signs. <laughs> it was kismet. Uh, I, fe- I felt good that we didn't end up having to sue because I was like, oh, that would have been a lot of time and effort. And he just destroyed himself. So bye. Oh, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So let's get to some calls then. We're going to play Shit You Here in the Office. And for those that may not know what that is, this is the call-in segment in which people call in and tell crazy office stories that they've heard. Certainly in police departments, so dealing with a lot of different people, you get a lot of crazy, crazy stories. So first on the line is Tammy. Tammy, what's some shit that you hear in the office? One of the craziest things I ever heard in the office came from a cop who had done a long-term undercover assignment. He was posing as an exterminator while infiltrating his target population. He was operating unlicensed and knew nothing more than the average person about pesticides. So when he got a job, he sprayed sugar water around the client's home. One of his clients complained that their ant problem was worse after he'd been there. So he told them, I never said I was good. (laughs) Sugar water will do it. So I guess it makes sense if they're undercover that they would actually be doing the job that they were undercover cover for, but I would expect it that they would actually have to have some idea of what they're doing. I would think that like they could at least get the budget to go like Lowe's or Home Depot and get one of those like things of like bug spray that you spray yourself around the house when you're too cheap like me to hire an exterminator. Yeah, because I mean sugar water it would have been funny it's like man it's it smells really sweet in here. That is a choice. Next on the line is Amy. Amy, what's some shit you heard in the office? You know, it, it's pretty much a little bit of everything here, though, Jason. You know, there was one time where I had a particular supervisor who was high up there in the ranks go out to lunch with us. We were going out to lunch to celebrate my intern who completed her internship. We happened to run into our chief and his executive staff, and they asked us to join us at the table. My supervisor said, hey, you know what? Let me do the presentation of the certificate and say words about your intern when she leaves. And I was like, okay, thinking no harm, right? No harm. Should be all right. He gets up there in front of everybody, in front of the chief and the executive staff and says, you know what? I just want to say, you know, this intern who's been with us, she's been amazing. She's She's been the best crime analyst we've ever had at our police department. And we are going to be sad to see her leave. We don't know how we will ever be able to fill her shoes and presented her with her certificate. And everybody just looked at him like, did you really just say that? And he said it with a serious face and to this day does not believe that that's how he said it. He thought he said she's the best intern we've ever had. But lo and behold, nope. As the only sole analyst at the department, it uh, everybody to this day still laughs and jokes about it because, you know, that's just the shit that goes on and takes place on a day-to-day basis here. 
that's one way to feel unappreciated is just to be told that an intern is more valuable than you. <laughs> that, that's one way to find out that you've just lost your job when they think that it's the wrong person's retirement or going away party. I can just imagine it, too. If he's the type of person that I, I just envision him, he's like trying to impress the chief, right? So he gets up there. He's not really planning to say anything, but this opportunity comes along where you got this meeting here and the chief's there. So he's trying to impress the chief. And in his head, he's he's got it all planned out. And he just lets one or two words slip exchanges them and that's all that it took it was probably a perfectly good speech other than the fact that he said crime analyst instead of intern you know i feel her pain because the plaque that i got from the school district when i left clearly shows that i worked there for 11 years but it has the dates on there wrong and then it says that i worked there for 10 years but they thank me for my dedicated and loyal service <laughs> they just they don't count the first year <laughs> All right. Next on the line is TJ. TJ, what's some shit you heard in the office? We have a fantasy football league, and my first year in the office, I actually won the belt. And my coworkers were like, "We should have like a ceremony," and so we did. And I cut this just like off the cuff heel promo. So I basically talked about how. All my coworkers were breathing rarefied air because I was going to be the fantasy champion forever. I said, what's the difference between me and Ric Flair? And I was like, Ric Flair held the belt 16 times, which meant he had to lose it 16 times. I'm never going to lose this belt. It's going to be around my, and I quote, big, strong arms until my coffee and cake. And then I lost it the next year. My coworkers <laughs> also had a field day with that. <laughs> I thought he was going somewhere else saying big fat. <laughs> oh, no, it, it's funny. So it just got a little bit too big in the head and and embellished a little bit and uh, had, had to eat some crow, it sounds like. But, oh, man. And it's funny that he actually used the word heel promo. So obviously he's a professional wrestling fan. You know, it, it's like the year that I accidentally won a Final Four tournament, just randomly guessing, because I do not follow the volleyball. <laughs> All right, good. Next on the line is Rachel. Rachel, what's some shit you heard in the office? Okay, well, I'm actually going to tell you what I didn't hear, and this is probably the most British thing you will ever hear. So I was working at Transport for London when I had my daughter, and I took nine months maternity leave. Now, I returned back to work, and then one day I'm in the office working in the morning. I think it must have been about lunchtime. I pop into the toilets, and I look in the mirror, <laughs> and I have milk, basically baby vomit on my shoulder. And do you know what? No one had told me. So why did nobody tell me that in the office? And do you know what? It happened another time, too. It wasn't long after. Only this time, it was a Thomas the Tank Engine sticker rather than baby vomit. But you know what? She didn't even like Thomas the Tank Engine. So why I had that sticker on my shoulder, I do not know. And again, I had to discover it for myself. So if this is a bit of an insight for your listeners into sort of office life in the UK, like no one says anything. They, they don't tell you these things. And it's stuff that you want to hear in the office, but I didn't, sadly. Oh, man. I feel her pain right there. I might not have a child, but I have a mastiff. And mm. if you know anything about mastiffs, they drool a lot. <laughs> and I may have gone an entire day without anyone telling me that I had mastiff splooge from like, I guess he like 
like rubbed up against my backside as I was leaving to say goodbye to me. And I just had this like massive thing of like dog slobber on the back of my pants all day long. I didn't know until I got home. I was like, I think that's worse than not telling me my zipper's down. Yeah, because I'm like, I hope that's dog spit or I hope that's, you know, in, in her case, I'm like, I'm hoping that's baby breast milk. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, or milk in general. It is funny that nobody, like, I, men are weird. I could understand if a man saw it and maybe thought like, oh, this is going to be embarrassing or whatever it is. But no women helped her out. No women helped you out either. You got to question if your coworkers are friends at that point. I mean, I I had to tap on a lady that I used to work with who had just had a baby and go, hey, hey, you need to go change shirts. And she was like, why? And I was like, just look down. And she like screeched and she was like, oh my God. And she ran out and changed shirts. We all know what we're talking about there. We're adults. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, all right, last caller is Mary. Mary, what's some shit you heard in the office? Yeah, shit you hear in the office. When I was at Northrop Grumman, I entered somebody into a prestigious engineering program. When I told him that he had been given a spot in this prestigious program, and I told him when it was, he told me, I can't attend, that's my birthday week. And the guy's like 57. <laughs> That reminds me of, I, they probably still do this. I don't know. At one point in time, MTV was doing these big Sweet 16 parties, spending thousands and thousands of dollars on kids' Sweet 16 parties. And this reminds me of that, but it's a birthday week and he's in his 50s, which that's the icing on the cake. I, I can get worse. I can get worse. The people I used to work with would be like, it's my birthday month. You should take me out to lunch. It's my birthday month. Like, lady, your birthday is like three weeks from now. <laughs> yeah. And that's also a don't be that analyst. Don't be that analyst that refuses once in a long time training. So especially if it's your, I guess, even if it is your birthday week. So <laughs> exactly. I think we'd all kill to go to training at this point. So that is shit you hear in the office. If you have a crazy story and you want to share it on air, send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. All right, Jonathan, let's finish up with words to the world. This is where I give the guests the last word and you can promote any idea that you wish. What are your words to the world? So first off, if you live in Texas and you're a Texas analyst and you have not joined TextLane, go join TextLane. Trust me, you get IACA membership with that as well. Also, say no to things. It's not going to hurt you. You just have to explain why you're doing it. And remember, as always, fake it till you make it. I'm still faking it, and I've made it. Very good. Well, I leave every guest with you've given me just enough to talk bad about you later. Of course. If people aren't talking bad about me later, then I didn't do my job right. <laughs> but I do appreciate your time, Jonathan. Thank you so much, and you be safe. All right, you too. Thanks for having me. Thank you for making it to the end of another episode of Analyst Talk with Jason Elder. You can show your support by sharing this and other episodes found on our website at www.leapodcasts.com. If you have a topic you would like us to cover or have a suggestion for our next guest, please send us an email at leapodcasts at gmail.com. Till next time, analysts, keep talking.